Welcome to the Hunt Backcountry podcast today. This is episode number 340, and we're talking about rifle actions with Mike Lee from Defiance Machine. If you've been curious about custom rifles, in particular custom rifle actions, you'll no doubt learn from this episode. Myself, I have a Defiance Anti-X action, as well as some other rifles built on other custom actions and rifles built off of factory platforms, such as Tika, which I've loved, and I've documented some of my build based on that factory rifle as well. There's links in the show description if you want to check that out. But there are more and more guys interested in building custom or high-end hunting rifles these days, and if that's you, whether it's something you want to do in the future or something you're considering soon, I'd encourage you to tune in to this episode. You'll learn a lot about what is actually the action of a rifle, how is it built, how does it perform, what features and benefits really matter, what are some of the pros and cons to consider between a custom and a factory rifle, and much, much more. I know for me personally, anytime I'm looking to invest good money, I want to understand the product and the process, the features and the benefits, and this conversation will certainly help you do that no matter what type of rifle you're looking to build, as you understand the importance of the rifle action itself. I hope that you guys take away as much from this conversation as I did. If you have any questions for us, don't forget you can always email podcast at exomountaingear.com. And if you have questions for Defiance after listening to this conversation, you can find their information in the show description as well. Right now, though, here's this conversation with Mike Lee. Mike, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. I'm excited to chat with you today, man. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, you're with Defiance Machine Company. Uh, a lot of guys are probably at least familiar with the name, custom action manufacturer. Uh, how did you personally get involved with that? It's always cool to hear the stories of, of guys with getting involved with companies in the industry, what their background is. And I feel like a lot of times, uh, I don't know, things just happen in unique ways. So like what's your personal story and in getting involved with Defiance? Yeah, I um, had been in machining uh, ever since high school and, and um, it's been quite a few years now. So, uh, but I, I had also started uh, building some custom rifles and, and got into some long range shooting quite a few years ago. And, and I just decided I wanted to get, you know, kind of marry those things together and, 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 you know, combine the manufacturing experience that I have um, and, and try to get into the firearms industry. And I did go to a gunsmithing school and, um, and then ended up working for another uh, rifle or action manufacturer uh, for a couple of years, but uh met Glenn Harrison of, of Defiance and he was, it was, it was just he and his wife at the time and, and Defiance was brand new. And this was uh, 12 years ago, but uh, he was looking for someone to, to help him out as he was growing and run CNC machines. And it was really kind of a perfect fit for me, you know, once again, manufacturing um, and machining and, and in the precision rifle industry. So, so got in there about 12 years ago and it's, uh, it's been a really great uh, experience so far. Yeah. 
did you move to Montana for that opportunity or were you in that area prior? Um, no, I, uh, kind of wanted to live in Montana and, um, like I said, end up working for a different, uh, action manufacturer prior to this one. So, and that was in Montana. So what was the original, um, drive of what led Glenn to start defiance? Meaning like, is there something specific he was trying to solve? Was he trying to f- meet the needs of a particular market? You know, at that point, maybe not hunting. Was it Pinterest? Was it something else? Like what was the original vision and drive for him to even start? Yeah. You, you kind of hit it when you said, uh, uh, solve an issue. <laughs> that's, that's kind of, kind of what Glenn loves to do. And, uh, it actually goes back prior to defiance. Um, it's, I think at this point it's been over 30 years. Uh, Glenn's been making rifle actions and, and he was a Ventress competitor prior to, to manufacturing anything. Um, but decided, um, that, that he could design a rifle action and, and, and make it. And so he did. And that was, uh, Nasika Bay precision. Uh, he was out of Washington at the time and, that, that company was, was around for quite a while and, um, it, he, he sold it and was, was involved with that new ownership for a while, uh, but eventually parted ways and, um, uh, more or less just kind of restarted in, in, in Montana and, and started defiance. But when, when you say solve issues, um, it's, it's really a good point because, you know, people have historically taken, uh, factory rifle actions um, and remachine them and, and made custom rifles out of them. And I say remachine them, it's, it's, you know, often to kind of to true things up and, and uh, make them able to be a very accurate rifle. Um, but as a, as a gun builder, if you have to remachine your components before you can build it, you know, it, it really limits you on how much you can, you can do in a day. So, so by providing a really great rifle action that makes uh, gun builders more successful, it makes, makes the end product better. And, and that's kind of that, that issue Glenn has been solving. Man, there's, there's so many places we can go and, and we'll get there. And I do want to kind of like take a deep dive, but like to start super high level when, when guys listening to this here, custom rifle action, and think of a company like Defiance, and there's obviously others out there in the space. Are you guys literally going from raw material to finished product, like pretty much almost in-house exclusively? Um, you know, receiving steel and other raw materials and shipping completed actions with all your own processes, essentially. Yes, that, that's exactly right. Um, we, you know, we actually receive. Uh, truckloads of you know 12 foot bars of steel and that and that becomes um receipt bolts and receivers um also, also uh bolt shrouds firing pins cocking pieces bolt stops we machine all that stuff in house um there's some pins and springs we don't make and and every once in a while there's some you know custom component we might might still get from somewhere but over the years, we had more things outsourced and, we, we, you know, we would find that, that we were growing briskly and couldn't find uh, other 
manufacturers to um, and even you know machine shops or whatever to to kind of keep up with us and supply us. So bringing everything in house has allowed us to to grow at our pace. And um, that being said, you know it takes a lot of different types of machinery to make all the parts that we make. And and so we had to keep buying things like you know wire EDM, a sinker EDM, screw machines. Uh, we have a water jet. Uh, I've worked in a lot of machine shops that don't have any of those things. Um, so we have a pretty diverse set of machinery and technologies and, uh, and are able to do all that stuff in house. So if we think of a rifle action and I'm trying to like dumb this down a lot, um, the two main components in my mind are the receiver itself and then the bolt that's then operating within the receiver correct like just from crazy high level those are the two main components do those start as two separate pieces of raw material the receiver and a bolt yeah they do and and um and, and you're right they're the two major components and uh it's it's important to actually point out that they're two pieces of material because um you know they do operate as as metal on metal that that moves back and forth and you know, just, just like, you know, anything else, you know, they require some lubrication because metal on metal can, can have issues, but we, we choose uh, materials for, for a lot of reasons. They're, you know, they're, they're rifle parts. So they take a lot of pressure at times. Um, they also have to be like wear resistant. They have to be corrosion resistant. Um, but also, you know, if you put, like 416R is what we make most of our, uh, and that's a stainless steel, 416R stainless steel is what we make most of our receivers out of. Um, but you really don't want to put stainless on stainless. Um, they, they can tend to gall or, you know, get sticky and, and, and galling is where they, they can actually kind of one piece of metal strips metal off the other piece, um, which is damaging, of course. But having dissimilar metals uh, allows those two parts to, to interact better together, to, to ride smoothly over each other. And, and in this case, we use uh, the 416R stainless steel for most receivers and then uh, 4340 um, for the bolts. And that's a, that's a chromoly steel and um, it's not quite as you know, corrosion resistant as, as the stainless steels, but once again, it's a... It's a good, they work well together. Um, you know, it's able to be hardened to the um, specifications we need. And, uh, and it really, really doesn't rust quickly. Um, we've, we've got actions that have literally been sitting around since day one. Um, you know, like one of the similar first actions we made might still be in the safe and they're not rusty. Um, you know, we take them out and handle them and put them back and they're still not rusty, but um, they're a little more susceptible to corrosion. So there's, you know, there's things you can do about that. Yeah, we'll talk a bit later about uh, coatings and things like that and how coatings relate to tolerances. And yeah, we'll get there for sure. Um, when it comes to, you know, I'm just trying to paint this picture. So we got raw materials, two different components. Then each of those need to be machined. Talking about the bolt for a minute. I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, pretty much all the bolts that Defiance makes are one-piece bolts. Is that correct? That's, that's correct. Um, and to explain that, 
to the listeners is uh, some, some bolts are made out of separate pieces. Um, you know, you might have a, a bolt head that attaches to the body and, uh, and sometimes a handle can be brazed on or welded on. Um, but ours are machined from one solid piece of bar stock. And um, one of the things we like about that is, uh, other than being more durable, um, the, the being, being machined in one operation allows us to control uh, tolerances and that can make the rifle more accurate, of course. And, and uh, we, we prefer to have the, the bolt head be, you know, one solid piece uh, because the firing pin is, is guided through, uh, through the front of the bolt there. And our firing pins are fully guided. They, they never leave the small hole that they, they come out of. They never leave it when, when you pull that firing pin back to cock it. It doesn't leave it. Um, you know, if it was to leave it and then have to come back into the hole, then that, you know, it would kind of create turbulence as that finds the hole and enters back in when you fire it. And that's the type of thing you don't want when you're shooting for accuracy. But, uh, yeah, so, so ours are all one piece and, and there's, there's two different styles of manufacturing, which kind of ends up with two different basic styles of bolts in our, in our product line. Is it, I'm assuming most off the shelf bolts, right? It's sportsman's or whatever, probably are not one piece then. This is more of like a kind of a higher end, you know, from, from a custom manufacturer like you guys, as well as others that a one piece bolt is more common there, but not so much in a, called a factory action. Is that a safe assumption? Um, it's a safe assumption, but there's, there's a little more to it. Uh, there's just a lot of different ways to make a bolt and, and making a bolt is a fairly, it's just kind of a fairly expensive process compared to other components because, you know, with a handle on it and with a, with a body that's let's say 700 diameter, but the locking lugs are about an inch in diameter. There's just a lot of machining there. So there's different ways to reduce cost. There's castings, there's uh, multi-piece bolts. Um, there's like a fat lug bolt design where um, it'll, have, it'll be a bigger bolt body and then it'll be kind of reduced and then lugs machined into that. It's just, it's just less overall machining in, in the action. And those, those actions won't generally have like full length lug ways through the receiver. Um, usually have more like a pin that, that keeps the bolt from rotating when, as you slide it back and forth until you get all the way forward and allows it to rotate. So it's just kind of a lot of different ways to, to manufacture a bolt. And certainly they come at different costs. Uh, but we, you know, we like that one piece handle. We like uh, full length lug ways. We like um, two lugs and, and, and uh, good, you know, good size lugs so that, um, kind of disperses the the pressure and and i think they make them smooth that way you know as you bring up costs and different manufacturing techniques a defiance action uh the action itself can cost what an off-the-shelf rifle may be and so you know guys have that question of like man a custom action and the price and looking at 
that's just the action that's just the starting point to build a rifle is most of that cost literally just coming from time invested time on machines machine time all the tolerances all the processes is that really where the cost and the custom action such as a defiance is coming from yes it, um it, it also you know once again to, to do it the way we choose to do it um the machinery itself is very expensive so you know i mean the the the, the very first machine that, that, that Defiance ever bought to, to make actions is, you know, about a $400,000 machine. Um, that was, you know, kind of on day one. And now we have uh, more expensive machines and, and we have, you know, about 35 CNC machines. Um, so, so that in itself is, is a lot of cost and um, got to have people to, to operate all that stuff. And um, so it's just kind of a, a, a big operation and, uh, you know, I'll point out that Defiance, Defiance doesn't make anything other than rifle actions, uh, the components of them, and, and a few, you know, tools or accessories to go along with them. So, you know, we're not, <clears throat> you know, we're not like an aerospace company that, that dabbles in, in, in firearms. Uh, we, everything, we, everything we do is based around making, you know, the best bolt action we can make. Can you go through a, and I'm sure we could spend an hour here on this question alone, but um, let's talk about the receiver real quick. Can you give us like a super high level raw material to what are some of the first machine actions or processes that begin to go from that raw material into receiver? And I know that's going to uh, even depend on what, what action we're talking about, right? So something like the anti-X with the uh, integrated rail, for example, is going to be a different process than some of the other actions uh, or receivers, I should say. Um, but can you just kind of give us like a starting point for guys like myself who are curious but ignorant about <laughs> what are some of the high-level processes of how that comes together? Sure, sure. And I'll try not to dive too deep and nerd out on all of that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so... Like I said, those the receiver material um, actually all comes in at 12 foot bars, and uh, you know early on everything started out as uh, 1.375 inch and three eighths bar uh, because you know a, a Remington action, which are, are you know our actions are kind of based on that footprint, and um, as well are a lot of you know custom actions uh, that that, that kind of diameter is about 1.350, so. Um, we were just getting bar stock that just needed to be kind of skim cut. And then you had that, you know, the OD of the receiver. Um, but we switched to adding uh, integral scope mounts and integral recoil lugs. Um, and that came our deviant and, and ruckus actions and the anti-X. And then actually now we, we offer an integral recoil lug, even on just the round actions, because it just, we believe it's so much better. And it allows us to, uh, it's, it's having a separate recoil lug would be one extra component in the tolerance stack. And you can't maybe have guaranteed headspace with something like that. So a lot of the actions we sell now have an integral recoil lug. So those all start out at two and an eighth inch bar diameter. But uh, that comes in the building and, and um, 
the first thing we do is saw it into length, um, just uh, receiver length. And uh, the very next thing those are going to do. And, you know, well, the, the bar stock might sit there for a bit and then it gets sawed. That might be kept in a crate for a while. We always, we always like to have the system prime. We're not going to like, you know, saw off a chunk. And walk, walk it over, it over. And yeah. Do something and walk it, you know, um, it doesn't work next, like let's go grab a new bar. Yeah. Yeah. We, we keep the, uh, like to keep the system primed with lots of uh, material, you know, ready to use at different operations. But the, after the saw, we'll take it to a, a really high precision CNC lathe and, and they're, they're really specced out, um, for exactly what we do. And, and what we've got to do there is we, gun drill a hole through that entire length and, and this this is hardened steel pre-hardened steel and i should say that all, all of our major components are machined from pre-hardened steel um the reason for that is and it's harder to do um it, it costs you actually have to have better machinery and better tooling and program it to be able to do, uh, machine hardened steel but if, if you use soft steel and machined your part and then heat treated it to harden it, it actually changes in dimension and also probably shape, you know, a, a perfectly round cylinder might, uh, uh, you know, you know, bow in, in, in shape after you heat treat it. So you wouldn't be able to make a really accurate rifle if you're doing it that way. Um, so these, C, these CNC lathes, we, we gun drill through this bar stock that's about, you know, nine and a half inches long. And, uh, you know, we're, we're drilling a, like a 0.7 inch hole through it, which is, which is a bit of a, a specialized process. Um, we're not talking a regular drill bit here. It's a, it's a gun drill that, that, that is designed to keep a really specific diameter and also drill very straight. But while we've got it in that lathe, and after we drill the hole, then we will bore out the front end and uh, single point turn the threads in the front of the receiver. These are the threads that the barrel will screw into. And we will machine the receiver face and uh, what we call the locking lug abutments inside the receiver. So um, these are actually all the critical surfaces on a rifle action um and there's other important things but when it comes to rifle accuracy having that bolt right in that hole but have the barrel threads be perfectly concentric um with that and the receiver face that the the barrel is going to you know thread onto and torque up against that face and having the the bolt lugs having a really perpendicular surface for that to made up to these are the types of things that uh that help make a, a rifle really accurate they're, they're those types of things if someone says i'm going to blueprint a remington action what they mean is they're going to go in and um make all these features true to themselves but what we do is do all those in one operation so bar stock goes in just just sawed and then it machines all those critical features in that very first operation all at the same time so um yeah, can I pull on that thread of like trimming in action? Because that's a phrase I'm familiar with and many listeners probably are, and you kind of explained it there. It's working on 
on a lot of those services, receiver face, et cetera. And again, this is a, a hard question to throw at you because um, there's different reasons, I would assume, but a factory action, what are some of the potential reasons that it might not be true? Is that have to do with maybe what you mentioned prior? Um, something was hardened after a machining process and there's some sort of warp or shift change? Is it just the the speed at which is built reduces um, the consistency or precision? Um, yeah, I guess the short answer or the short question is, why is potentially those factory actions built more in mass not true? Just their process in general. Yeah, yeah, all, all of the above. All those things you mentioned are correct. Um, you, you know, once again, our goal is to make the most accurate rifle action we can um, and, you know, and, and serve our customers well and so on. But, but the, it, really, it really is based around making the very best product out there and, and we're very accuracy minded. <clears throat> so we're not trying to, you know, make the, you know, hit a certain price point uh, so much as just make, make the best product. So our approach is all about making it the best way possible. Um, but if, if a rifle is going to be on the shelf at a store, the, you know, I think I think they absolutely are trying to hit price points, and that and that makes a lot of sense because um, there's there's people out there that will never want to spend more than three hundred dollars for a rifle, or six hundred dollars, or a thousand dollars, or or whatever that is. So so their manufacturing process gets designed around things like that, and and there's definitely you know once again there's there's castings and there's um, different different types of designs, and there's also just kind of like you said like the the speed in which they can produce something. Um, and, and all those things I kind of mentioned are probably are going to take away from, from accuracy on some level. Um, yeah. So I kind of cut you off on, on the process of machining bolt face, receiver threads, uh, all that. So yeah, picking back up on production. Sure. So, so now, now we've got this chunk of steel nine and a half inches long. It's got a, got a hole down through it. It's got uh, all those important features on the front of the receiver. And what we'll do is we'll uh, put that in a five axis mill. And that allows us to, you know, and if you're, if you're holding a receiver in your hand and you tilted your arm, you know, like pivot at the elbow and, and moved it all around and then rotated your wrist, that's kind of what we can do with that receiver in a five axis mill. We can, we can hold on to it. We can uh, flip it upside down, um, you know, machine on this end, rotate it around, machine on that end, um, lay it on its side. That's kind of how that works. But what we can do there is we, we go in with, in with an electronic probe and that can locate the hole coming out the other end of that blank. And uh, the reason we do that is, is find the exact center of that hole um, in, in two axes, like X and Y, and then go in and, and machine some features on the back end of that blank based on the exact center of that hole. Um, and in that five axis machine, like I said, we can turn around to the front end and we're probably gonna machine like the recoil lug profile. Um, and uh, we, we clean up the threads um, 
that allows us to, uh, we actually time the threads. So if, if you're getting a bunch of actions um, and screwing barrels on, you have barrels that are already uh, threaded and, and engraved, they're all gonna rotate and stop at the same point on, on a rotational axis. Uh, after that um, procedure, <clears throat> we'll go to a honing machine. And um, just, just like, you know, you think of honing a knife blade, this is similar, but it's uh, hones a round hole. And, uh, you know, we're, we're able to drill that hole in the middle of the receivers to pretty tight tolerances. But because it is a drill, you know, part number one and part number 20 would probably would vary a little bit. There'd be some tool wear on that drill and you'd get a different surface finish and, and different size by a couple ten thousandths of an inch. Um, but uh, we, so that we hone that hole and you can, there's honing stones on a mandrel and, you know, they, they rotate and oscillate back and forth and, and we can bring that hole diameter to a very exact uh, dimension. And uh, <clears throat> after that's done, the, the next procedure would be the wire EDM. And uh, EDM stands for electrical discharge machining. And it's actually a wire, sometimes brass or zinc, and it, it gets threaded through each receiver, gets submerged in water. It emits an electrical charge that, that erodes the steel so I think we use a, a 12 thousandths of an inch wire. A human hair is like three thousandths of an inch. And uh, it's pretty neat. It's, it's cutting through nine and a half inches of, of hardened steel. Um, kind of without ever really touching it because it, it just arcs and, and that erodes the steel. So that's, that's kind of a wild process. Uh, but it's, there's, we're cutting the lug ways in the receiver. So the bolt lugs have to travel through the length of, of the receiver and they're, you know, the, it's kind of a squarish cut and you can't, you can't make a, a squarish cut with, you know, sharp or, you know, small radius corners through a really long part with conventional machining things like, like rotating tools. Um, and there's, there's different ways we could do that. Um, there's not a whole lot of ways really. Um, that could be, once again, it could be cast into the blank or something, but we're not doing castings. They, they kind of tend to not be really straight and stuff. Um, and you could broach it. A broach is a tool that you like cut or pull and it's kind of progressive. Like it's got a cutter and then behind that is a cutter that's a little bit bigger and behind that's a little bit bigger and it gets pushed or pulled through the blank. Um, but that can induce stress into the steel. And uh Stress in the steel can once again, as, as you, if you put stress in the steel, in the, into the steel or the steel has stress in it, as you machine things like a magazine cut or a loading port where you cut on one side of the action or the top or bottom, stress can be relieved and that, that part would actually, you know, bow or, or, or move. And once again, we'd be losing uh, straightness and accuracy there. So uh, we'd go to great lengths to not induce any more stress into the steel. Um, and wire EDM doesn't, doesn't put any stress into the steel. So it's kind of a slow process. It takes, it takes about two hours for every receiver, um, just on that one machine. Um, 
but it's the best way to do it. So that's what we do. And um, we, we've had, we have four of those machines currently and going to need another one soon. Um, so at that point now we've got, and that's actually what we call like a, a receiver blank. I mean, it's, it's got all the features other than, you know, a loading port and the handle cut and safety cut and stuff like that loading port. But that's where a lot of customization comes in. So we make these receiver blanks and there's, there's still variation. There's, there's 750 volts, you know, for your uh, larger magnums, there's right and left hand um, blanks. We have some different threads and stuff. So there's still quite a few variations of the receiver blanks, but you will actually do those in batches of some sort and put them on the shelf. Um, but when you call and say, Hey, I want an anti X, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm right-handed and, you know, I want your intermediate length action. That's our XM. And, and grab one of those blanks and then take it to um, a, a five axis milling machine and uh, basically mill it to completion um, based on your exact specifications. And, and, and we actually have a pretty unique system where uh, you know, for a CNC machine, a programmer writes a program, tells the tool exactly where to go, um, you know, down to a ten thousandths of an inch and, you know, three, four, five axes um, with different tools and so on to create a part. And that's, that's kind of conventional programming. And uh, we use something called macro programming uh, real, real heavily and has a lot more logic built in. So like if, and then statements, you know, if it's a left hand, then go over here and machine the handle cut. If it's a right hand, this, if it's a long action, go to this, you know, X coordinate. Um, um, so we're actually able to, uh, we have a software system that allows the sales department when they, when they take a, a, an order, um, and it can be a very, you know, could be a, a left-handed guy that wants a left-handed bolt, but he wants it to eject out the right. And it's a long action, but it's also a single shot. So there's no magazine cut. He doesn't, he doesn't want to run a, a safety, uh, on his trigger. So there's no safety cut, um, really, really customizable by the customer. Um, the sales department actually creates and saves a, a file that the CNC machine reads. And there's basically one large program that, that is driven by these variables that, that builds a kind of a custom action in a production uh, environment, I'd, I'd say. But, um, is that, it sounds like there's, that's super efficient <laughs> once you've arrived at this point, but it sounds like <laughs> massively complicated to get there. Is this something that's you guys have kind of built from the ground up that even that whole logic process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, other places certainly use the macro programming. Um, and when I say other places, other, other types of manufacturing. Um, but Glenn really likes to leverage uh, technology. Um, I mean, he is the, the programmer uh, for all this stuff. And, and he also kind of designed that process. Um, so, so yeah, and, and it's, it, it is, it is pretty, 
pretty unique, but it allows us to do things um, that you're just not going to be able to get somewhere else. Yeah, man, we get we could keep going. I could like spend hours on this uh, asking <laughs> questions. Um, what else? You know, so we've talked so much about like the precision of everything, and you guys are talking about the, the operations you take and how you know every surface, every cut, every face is you know has uh, a consequence, right? Mm-hmm. What? Let me let me tie that and everything we've discussed to this question, which uh, I've considered myself and have definitely seen come through from listeners of the podcast. Above like all these details, really talking about the how much effect can an action have on things that hunters really care about, like accuracy, reliability, et cetera. And I guess what I'm getting at is I hear some people say on accuracy, for example, like the only thing that really matters is your chamber and your barrel, because that's, that's where everything's quote unquote happening in terms of that bullet being fired and then, you know, leaving the barrel. So we've talked about the consistency and all the care and all the precision that goes into the action, but really, I guess, can you kind of dumb down anything that an action can maybe do wrong that could really affect things from an accuracy perspective? Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and I, uh, I will just say that I, I, it's, it's certainly not all in the barrel. <laughs> um, it, it's not all in the chamber. Uh, the barrel matters for sure. Uh, the, the chamber matters for sure. <laughs> how, how, how the barrel threads are formed matters. Uh, but your trigger matters. Uh, not all triggers are created equal. Your stock matters. Your stock bedding matters. Um, the rifle action matters. The, the receiver how it's machined and how that barrel mates up to it, um, how the bolt fits in the receiver. Um, you know, we we make we make actions that have anywhere from you know five or six thousands of clearance. Um, you know, a lot of them would maybe have like more like two thousands clearance, and then you know we have we have uh, some target shooters that would that would order an act uh, an action that has one thou or less of clearance between the bolt and receiver and and that affects accuracy um and and something that that really gets overlooked um by a lot of people is uh, ignition so consistency in ignition um and that and that's going to come down to the trigger but then also uh, the firing pin the firing pin spring uh the cocking piece, which, which is attached to the firing pin, but interacts with the, with the trigger. Um, so, and it's all about consistency. That's, that's really the, the bottom line. Um, if you, uh, you know, like I said, if, if the firing pin leaves the little hole that, you know, it can eventually come out of, if it leaves that when you pull it back, and you, you know, pull the trigger and it allows it to go forward. Well, if, if one time it kind of hits the edge of the hole when it goes in and one time it gets lucky and falls right in the hole, you have inconsistency in your ignition. Um, you know, 
roughly machine parts. Um, a lot, a lot of things can affect accuracy. So what we try to do is, is in, I mean, I mean, Glenn was studying rifle accuracy before he ever uh, machined in action. But so for, for 30 some odd years, he's, he's been a student of, you know, what makes a rifle really accurate and, and he's never forgotten those things. So even, even though we make a very lightweight hunting action, uh, you know, we do, we do burr the, the firing pin spring to make sure that it, that it, it travels on the firing pin smoothly. Um, we make sure that the, that the firing pin is guided and is smooth. Um, so there's a lot of little tiny details that, that, that we do and, and, and other action manufacturers do a lot of this stuff too. Um, that um, it's, it's minutia, but there's a, there's a lot of things that go together to create a very, very, you know, consistent uh, rifle action and rifle. Touching on, uh, you, know, you mentioned like clearance uh, there. You know, one thing, and this, this really, I saw this come through. I had this uh, plan to talk about, but you guys recently started doing something on Instagram called Machinist Monday, which is like questions that come through to you guys and then you guys answer it, which is really cool. But one of the ones recently was on tolerances versus clearance. And sometimes those being used interchangeably, but they're actually two separate things. Yeah. Um, so can you kind of explain the difference between the two, what each one means, the difference between the two, and then um, that'll lead us to discuss some other topics as well. So in, in, in machining, you know, you're, you're, you're going to machine something to uh, a nominal dimension. And maybe, maybe the bolt is supposed to be 700 diameter, 0. 0.7000. Uh, but your tolerance, the allowable amount of variation uh, might be plus half of a thousandth of an inch, 0. 0.0005 inches larger is allowed. So that's your tolerance. So it's the, it's the amount of variation allowed. Uh, some people say, you know, how tight are your tolerances? But they're actually, they what they want to know is how much clearance are we uh, putting between the bolt and receiver, uh, for instance? And because uh, it matters, you know, like I said, a, a bench rest shooter can can have a a bolt that only has a couple ten thousandths of an inch clearance, um, but a hunter competitor is probably going to want to have you know, between two and five thou um, clearance between the bolt and receiver. It's enough to, to not get bound up uh, with a little bit of dust, uh, you know, in there. Um, and I mean, I, I've, you know, I've actually had, you know, ice on my bolt, um, you know, water, mud, blood, you know. Um, so a little bit of clearance is good. Too, too much clearance, you'll, st you'll start to see accuracy decrease. So clearances, as you mentioned, like, probably the most relatable is the space between the the bolt and the receiver um, at a high level. And you mentioned there, that's important for the hunter because obviously that's an open system, meaning stuff can get between there, stuff can get on your bolt that can then affect uh, your cycling. And so you need some clearance uh, for there to be forgiveness when as you said, debris, other things like that get um, injected there. 
it also comes down to um, even things like coatings. And, you know, you mentioned prior things like rust, but can you kind of talk about maybe from a super high level, some of the different coating options that are out there, how they affect then clearance and performance from a reliability cycling perspective, but then also obviously the purpose of some of these coatings, I feel like sometimes guys do it just for aesthetic, but really for the function, for the protection of the material, especially in those harsher environments. Um, and any that you personally like, uh, I knew it threw a lot of, <laughs> a lot of you in there on coatings, but, um, how, how do they work? What are the benefits? What are the potential downsides? Things like that. Sure. Uh, one of the coatings we offer, um, this is more of a treatment than a coating, I think, but, uh, we, we will send an action uh, out to black nitride. Um, and that's considered a salt bath nitride. It, it treats the surface. Um, I'm not going to go into details because I don't, I don't think I know exactly how it all works, but it, in, in the end result on that is uh, the action becomes black or that part. Cause, cause we'll actually do a bolt only or receiver only also, but um the action gets nitrided and it becomes black. It it adds a bit of surface hardness to the to the steel. And I always kind of think of like um, when metal is really hard and rubs together, it just kind of skates across each other. So uh, in a rifle action, that's a that's a real smooth feel, um, and uh, that that's nice. And then it adds some corrosion resistance as well. And and once again, our her receivers are 416 stainless. Uh, you're probably not going to have much at all corrosion issues with that. I mean, if you're on salt water, salt water, like, you know, if you're on a boat in Alaska, uh, that salt water can, can corrode stainless. Um, but the, but the bolts being 4340 chromoly are susceptible to corrosion at some point. So a coating on the bolt is nice. And that's the one that we offer. And actually, you know, I, anymore when I'm building a, a, a a rifle. I'm going to have the action made. And I'm going to have that done right away. It's a, it's a pretty good process. Um, there's some other things out there. Um, people talk about DLC, uh, stands for diamond like carbon, I believe it's called. Um, and that's a, that's a, or, or PVD, which is physical vapor deposition. But the, those are other good coatings too. We've, we've, we've offered that in the past. Sometimes it's like a long lead time and, um, you know, so we make someone's rifle action and then send it off and don't get it back for three months. So it wasn't really conducive for us to do it. Um, that's kind of what we settle on nitride, but, but I do have an action that's got DLC coating on it and it's, it's actually really nice. Um, other than that, uh, because the clearance is, you know, only two thousands in a lot of cases, doesn't leave a lot of room for other stuff. Um, we, we, we kind of offer two, you know, if you're, if you're ordering an action from us, there's kind of two basic uh, bolt diameters that are available. So it's like either a 700 bolt or a 697 bolt. Or in the case of like a 330 Lapua, it's uh, 750 or 747. And so what you see there is we've done, we've added three more thousands of clearance as an option. Um, and for a hunter and, and even a lot of, uh, you know, kind of PRS style competitors, you're not going to like lose enough accuracy to notice. Um, but uh, it does allow more clearance and, and 
people do uh, you do something like Cerakote on those, and there there is enough clearance to do it if it's applied properly, and uh, and that's another way to go too. And, and like you mentioned, that allows for different colors, and and it's it's also something that a gunsmith can can generally set up and do in his small shop. So um, that's why it's it's fairly common. Um, that's um there's always talk of it every time i see guys talk about actions or guys pick up their buddy's rifle and like check it out and cycle the bolts there's always like oh that's smooth or that's not smooth like that's something the guys look at how like how important is that really is that just like one of those things that's that's nice right like it makes cycling great and i'm not necessarily talking about like reliability at this point but just literally the the feel of the bolt cycle and how smooth that is. Is there a benefit practically or is this just like, no, it's just nice to have a smooth bolt. Um, it is nice to have a smooth bolt because it, <laughs> it, 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 it sounds good. And, um, yeah. but, but no, there, there is a practical reason for it too. Um, it, if you, the more you shoot and, um, you know, if, if you get into like rifle competition or something, um, you're, you're going to spend a lot of time. One of the biggest things I think in precision shooting is, is your position, getting, getting into a good position, whether you're, you're laying prone at the range or, or maybe a makeshift prone, you know, halfway over a log on a snow pile or, you know, right. But you're going to get into this position that you can shoot accurately from. And uh, once you get in that position, a really smooth action, you can, you can cycle that bolt and, and even, you know, feed cartridges as well while you're cycling the bolt. And when it's really smooth, you can, you can stay in position and stay on target. Um, you know, you can, a really smooth action, you can lift that bolt handle and, um, you know, after firing it, so you're, you're cocking the, the firing pin again, you can do that with one finger in a lot of cases and, and, and stay on target while you do it. So um, it's, it's more than, it's more than a luxury. There's, there's some, there's some app, you know, practical application for that. I haven't, I haven't thought of it that way. That's a really, really solid point for sure. Related to that, talk a little bit about, um, bolt lift, right? So you have like different, um, different styles of bolts and this ties into like, for example, two glug versus three glug, but, um, the degree of that bolt throw, um, can you talk pros and cons here and kind of what defiance uh, does both in terms of lugs and related to that bolt lift. Um, Cause that is certainly something, again, I see a lot of talk about of. Yeah. Uh, you know, bolt action rifles generally have uh, two lugs or three lugs. And there's some, there's some other ones out there. There's some that have like rows of lugs. Um, but you know, Mausers and Winchesters and Remingtons and Rugers and, and, and a lot of the really common ones that have been around for a long time have been uh, two lug actions. And with two lugs, you're basically going to rotate the bolt about 90 degrees to, to unlock those. And then also when you go forward to close it and lock it. Um, there are some actions that have three lugs. And so you're going to rotate the bolt about 60 degrees. And, uh, there, there's some, you know, there's some good actions out there that have three lugs and uh, D- Defiance has 
you know, prototypes and three lug actions. Um, but we've always just really settled on the two lugs. Um, you know, in Glenn's history and in, in, in bench rest, he's seen that's kind of what, what, what wins, you know, in, in, in the, you know, like bench rest where you're talking just pure, you know, rifle accuracy, uh, two, two lug is, is king. <clears throat> and, and so that's what we've always done at defiance. And the, one of the, you have kind of pros and cons, um, a three lug does have less rotation needed to operate the bolt. Um, but you're, you're still cocking the same like type of mainspring. So you're kind of, you're overcoming that spring force in, in a shorter distance. So they'll tend to have kind of a heavier bolt lift in a shorter distance. Um, kind of takes away from the smoothness sometimes. And uh, so, so, so we, we make T-lug actions and, and, and prefer that way. Yeah. Before we run out of time here, talk a bit about the anti and anti X specifically. So this is the action that I've been running for uh, more than a year now and is really kind of um, the premium action that's targeted specifically towards uh, what a lot of our audience does, which is care about weight and try and get into the backcountry. Um, yeah, so just talk about it. Like, what was the origin of it? What are some of the unique um, features, benefits about it, things like that? Yeah, when um, <clears throat> I had actually gone to the the Western Hunt Expo several years ago and um, walked around and talked to a lot of our customers that, that build rifles and um, kind of asked the question like, hey, what, what, what can we do, you know, to help you? What can we do that we're not currently doing and, and, and so on. And there was this kind of resounding answer, like, oh, we need to build a titanium action. Um, and uh, like, well, why do you want titanium? Well, you know, our customers want it and <clears throat> customers want it, assumedly, you know, it's just to be, to be lightweight. And uh Let's see. Glenn had made titanium actions uh, at Nasika uh, many years ago, and, and, and didn't care for the material. Um, and it's not, and it's not like machining it. That's that's not an issue because we we machine all this hardened steel, so titanium is not, not hard to machine, <clears throat> relatively speaking. But uh, it it tends to be a little uh, kind of stickier, so you don't get the smoothness of an action that you do with steel. Um, it, it also, it's strong for its weight, but it can uh, stretch, I think a bit more by the right way to put it, um, or, or maybe move under, under force. And, and rifle actions certainly do have force. So it, it's, a, it's certainly a factor. Um, so we said, well, we don't really want to make titanium. So we don't think it's going to, you know, titanium action. We don't think it's going to be probably as, as good of a product as the steel actions we're making. So let's just make a steel action as light as we can. And uh, so we did some, did some things to uh, reduce weight here and there. Uh, nowhere, nowhere that affects accuracy or safety, but um, you know, places like, you know, the back of the bolt handle base, uh, the bolt handles hollow. Um, the recoil lug has some pockets milled in it. Um, there's a larger hole through the inside of the bolt and there's deeper flutes on the outside of the bolt. Um, and we were really able to get, uh, to get these actions down to 
um, you know, I'd say within an ounce or so of, of, the, of most titanium actions. And um, the, the, we're, not, we're not spending any more on material, just a little bit more time machining. So the, the cost didn't go up a whole lot from our, our normal uh, steel actions, but, you know, titanium is a pretty expensive uh, material. So those, those actions tend to be more expensive. So that's kind of where that came from. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's do some rapid fire questions uh, before I let you go. And we've taken an awesome deep dive to, to understand actions, but for you personally, you mentioned in your history, rifle builder, long range shooter, I know you're a super passionate hunter uh, for you personally, currently, what would be like your go-to hunting cartridge choice? Yep. Uh, 300 WSM. Um, be, always being a, a Western hunter, uh, elk. I kind of, I kind of focus on elk quite a bit and, and I certainly want whatever rifle I'm using to be to, up to that task, you know, and I, and I've always liked 30 caliber magnums for that. Um, so 300 WSM is, is what I've been using currently. And I, uh, I've had really good success with, uh, the accuracy of that cartridge. I think it's a, a pretty, pretty good cartridge design. Yeah. Do you run that on the, your mid length action then? I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We have the, the XM length action and that is, uh, a quarter of an inch longer than a Remington short action and and you get all that extra length in in the magazine so you can see how long bullets is you know up to 3.2 inches do you feel that the benefit there because obviously you could take a a wsm and run it in short action which it's originally designed for same for like my seven psalm for example short action but you get some benefits on running it a bit further out having the mid length that's obviously mostly going to benefit guys running more modern, higher BC, heavier for class bullets, correctly? Yeah, that, that, that's right. And, um, but it's, it's interesting because um, the, the bullet I'm shooting and at the seating depth I am, I could have had it in a, in a regular length action. Um, but the beauty of it is, you know, a rifle action will, will last uh, your lifetime and, and probably several more. Uh, you might decide to, to change cartridge and there might be a new cartridge and new bullet that comes out five years from now. And, and, you know, to have that versatility, I think when you're doing a custom action and investing a lot of money in it, having that versatility is kind of a nice feature. Yeah. I meant to ask you that earlier. I'm so glad you touched on it. That's a, something that I've realized that I didn't five years ago when looking at, you know, custom rifle action, for example, is, you're building a rifle with that action now, but what the future holds specifically for that action can change. Meaning you can change calibers, you can change different setups and things like that. And uh, I know that may sound obvious to a bunch of guys, but I just never thought of it that way originally. To me, it's always like you're sourcing an action to go in this specific rifle, but essentially, as you said, like the action lasts a lifetime and maybe in the future, you change that up like that this action becomes the the focal point of an entirely different type of rifle different cartridge different caliber you know different 
stock set up all kinds of stuff right so it's it is good when you're investing in action like this to think through not only what do i want now but what may i want in the future um is a really really important thing to think through yeah um for sure uh and probably other action manufacturers as well but at defiance you could you could order because if let's let's say you have a 6.5 creed more um that's what we call a standard bolt face or a 308 bolt face. Um, and it's probably going to be um, a Remington short action length. Uh, we, we call that a medium. But uh, you could you could switch the barrel to a 308 Winchester and everything else stays the same. You could switch that barrel to a uh, 338 Federal or a 243. or There's just all these options that that kind of same family of cartridge. Um, because that bolt face diameter is important. Um, you can't you can't vary from that without swapping the bolt. But you can swap the bolt. So you could get another bolt and you could run a 223 or a 204 Ruger. I mean 223 is a great example because let's say let's say you're shooting um you have a hunting rifle and the ammunition is kind of expensive or whatever, and you just want you just want to be able to go shoot thousands of rounds and not wear out your your hunting rifle. And, and maybe not uh, the barrel and, and not and not uh, have the recoil. You could you could run a, a two twenty three um, with a different bolt and you know have very little recoil and really long barrel life and not be burning as much powder. So um, and that's the type of thing we see in the precision rifle comp competitors. They might be running a a six creed more, but then they also um, get a second bolt. So they can run a 223 trainer, but it's the same, same stock, same trigger, same action, same scope, scope mounts. Um, just swapping out the barrel and bolt. And that's something you could do down the line. Like I could call Defiance and be like, hey, I have an anti-X, this serial number. I'm sure you guys have that tied to all the specifics of what that build is. Mm -hmm. And then you guys would build a new bolt for me, potentially. Absolutely. Super cool. I guess that leads also to the good question of um, something that's super popular these days is the idea of pre-fit barrels and some of the capability of guys at home being able to change barrels, whether they're, you know, just changing a caliber or what have you. Um, are all defiance actions compatible with pre-fit barrels? What we do is we, we guarantee headspace on some of our actions. And with, with uh, certain machining practices we have, we're able to do that. Um, so we have the tenacity, anti-ruckus, and anti-X that we guarantee headspace on. And so you can get uh, several actions and have, um, you know, the headspace would all be the same and, and the, the threads are all the same. Um, you know, but we, we have to say that, that a barrel needs to be properly fitted to the action. So whether you get that custom made or, or somebody has, has machined it ahead of time, it just, it just has to be properly fitted. Um, the, the fit of a barrel is really important and the, the chamber and the headspace is really important, um, for both safety and accuracy. But there are prefits out there. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of companies doing prefits now 
jumping back to your personal stuff for that 300 uh, WSM, what's what's your go-to bullet for hunting specifically? And does that ever change based on the game that you're hunting, where you're hunting, expected shot distance, et cetera? Or do you pretty much like, this is tried and true. This is always what I'm sending down range uh, when I'm hunting, wherever I'm hunting. Yeah. I, it's just, just me personally, I don't like to always be switching and trying new things because I, I just believe that um, being really comfortable with, with one thing and even if it's me- memorizing your, you know, your, your drop data um, to me, it's best not to switch. Um, but uh, I've, I've used a 180 grain Nosler Acubond for, for a lot of years and, and um, had really good success with it. So um, I haven't changed much. It's, you know, it's not one of the highest BC bullets um, of today. So I'm, I'm looking at this year, uh, trying the 190 Acubond long range, but uh, so similar size, but uh, you know, higher BC and um, a little more modern bullet design. This is again, big can of worms here, but uh, just quick brief thoughts on for guys who are considering building a rifle, what should they look for in selecting a builder or a gunsmith? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, you know, there's like never been a better time to have a custom rifle built because uh, technology um, just keeps, you know, advancing and, and there's so many great products and components out there. And um, if I, if I was choosing a, a gun builder, a gunsmith, you really should look at reputation and, and that information's out there, obviously. Um, but I think, I think something that, well, there's, there's the, a, a gun builder is, is going to be going to do some machining. Um, and I think that um, some, some are, are, are really good machinists. And, and to me, that would make a difference. And, uh, but another thing though, is, is going to be their kind of customer service and support. Um, you know, I've certainly heard from defiance. I've heard, you know, people call up and be like, Hey, you know, my rifle doesn't feed. And I said, well, who, you know, who built the rifle? And have you talked to them? Like, well, he, you know, he won't answer my calls. <laughs> um, that, that's not good. So you, you, you want someone that's going to stand behind their product and, and, and that's where a good reputation is going to, going to, going to help. Uh, lastly again could be a big topic but just kind of first things that come to mind what what is something that you feel hunters overlook when it comes to shooting these days i would think uh probably practicing in in real world conditions um you know you know sitting at a bench um is an okay way to maybe sighting your gun and stuff but but body position actually affects you know point of impact um and and even just you know being comfortable in that position um so historically that's probably really been overlooked um lately you know with this kind of trend in in long-range shooting long-range hunting um hunting-based precision rifle competitions um i'd probably say there's there's more hunters out practicing in those types of conditions now based on, on that kind of stuff. So that's, that's a good thing, but um, yeah, there's just a big difference between sitting at a bench and saying, well, you know, I was two inches high at a hundred. 
uh, you know, the book says, and I'm, <laughs> you know, this at 500 yards. Well, um, you know, going out and, and laying in the dirt and, and shooting 500 yards is, is how to find out you know, what the results are going to be. Cool. Um, yeah. Point guys to the website is a great place of information. I feel like uh, in my own experience, I haven't called you guys personally. Um, giving you guys a call is great. If there's any questions, is there anything else you would point people to besides the website, giving you guys a call and getting information? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, we try to keep the website updated and, and some social media stuff. Um, it's defiancemachine.com. Um, but, but we, yeah, we, we, we have a pretty, uh, robust sales staff too. And we want to be there, um, to, to answer the phones and, and answer questions. And, um, I don't, I don't answer the phone on a daily basis, but if it becomes a technical, um, question that someone wants help with, I'm, I'm available for that kind of stuff too. So I'd say definitely check out our website and, and call the shop if you need more information. Well, that is a wrap on this episode, guys. Reach out to Defiance directly if you have any questions or if you want to hear any of our experiences. Steve and I both do have rifles built on Defiance Actions, and we would be happy to share our experience and objective feedback there as well. You can reach us by email to podcast at exomountaingear.com or look for the link in the show description that says leave us a message to leave us your question via audio for a future Monday Minute episode. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically, and we'll talk to you soon.